I'm Lara Barrera, and welcome to the 17th episode of our No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, 15 Tips for a More Efficient and Environmentally Responsible Fertility Program, is being brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. If this is your first time listening, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to get an alert when upcoming episodes are released. If you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. Thanks to Montag Manufacturing, your fertilizing equipment specialist, for sponsoring today's episode. Offering complete dry and liquid fertilizer systems, Montag will help you reap the benefits of deep banding fertilizer, which can reduce your rates, increase your yields, and assist your stewardship goals. They also offer high-capacity auto-steer carts that help keep soil compaction under control by precisely following in the tracks of any implement. To learn more about their fertilizer solutions, visit www.montagmfg.com or call them today at 712-852-4572. While they may be in different locations and have their own unique operations, no-tillers Jason Carter, Mike Taylor, and Mike Whirling share one goal in common, to utilize their fertilizer in the most responsible and effective way possible. At the 2017 National No-Tillage Conference held in St. Louis this past January, the three were recognized as the ninth annual class of responsible nutrient management practitioners for being environmentally, economically, and practically responsible with their no-till nutrient management programs. In this episode, Jason Carter of East Dover, South Carolina, Mike Taylor of Helena, Arkansas, and Mike Whirling of Decatur, Indiana, will share five strategies, including soil testing, fertilizer rates, and application methods they've implemented on their own farms that have improved their fertility practices. In today's No-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you by Montag Manufacturing, we welcome the ninth class of responsible nutrient management practitioners to share their 15 tips for a more effective and efficient fertility program. So we're going to start with Jason, work our way back and forth. Jason, your first tip was you get to know your fertility levels. So tell us about the things you do to, to learn what your fertility levels are. We're soil sampling every year, and some people might think that's a little extreme to sample every year, but you know, how are we going to know what we can cut back on or maybe need to increase on our inputs? Um, when we started with covers five years ago, um, we started sampling every year, and what we've noticed every year is our organic matter is starting to increase in the soil, and also we're not applying as much lime as that we used to. We used to have to lime every other year, and we have fields now that we haven't applied any lime in six years now. So by sampling every year, we get a better idea of what's going on in our soil, and we just better manage um, our inputs and really know what exactly is going on out there. We're going to do the next one with, with Mike Taylor. And Mike, uh, you've got ask yourself why yields from freshly cleared new ground are so good for just a couple of years. We are south of here, just south of Memphis, Tennessee, also along the Mississippi River, eastern Arkansas. If we go back about eight years, we had an 1,800-acre farm, 200 acres still in woods. 
So we had to ask ourselves, what did the old timers know about that 200 acres that they decided not to clear it? But we dove into it, we cleared it, still had concerns, could not see anything apparent. First two years, we planted it in corn just to keep the combine headers out of the stumps and chunks. The third year, meaning three years ago, we planted it in the beans. They looked pretty good, so we entered that into our state's dry land soybean yield contest, 89 bushels an acre. This is on land that the old timers decided wasn't worth clearing. This year, the soybean yield monitor would bump over 100. So our question became, how is it that we can maintain whatever magic is in that new ground? How do we keep it from going backwards? Or was the question on the land adjacent to it that's been farmed for 100 or 200 years, how is it that we can get it back to the state of the less desirable new ground? All right, thank you, Mike. Uh, going to go to our other Mike, Mike Whirling. Your, your first one is we apply uh, NPK and sulfur in the ground with the planter or at side dress at the time and location needed for plant uptake. Right, you spoke about that when you were introducing me. Um, all my nutrients go down, the P and K go down with the planter at planting time. Um, I have the Keaton seed firmers that have fertilizer on them, and I'm going, as uh, Ray said this morning, Ray McCormick, two by zero, so I'm at two inch beside and about the same depth for the 28%, and more PK and sulfur I put beside it. So, and then coming back with side dressing my corn. So all, I believe all the nutrients go into the ground and it's the most efficient and least harmful method for the environment. All right, we're gonna bring it back to Jason. Uh, your next one is we use manure to build fertility levels and feed the, micro, the microbes. Yeah, we use um, poultry litter on our farm. South Carolina has a lot of chicken farms. We have a good source of um, chicken litter. Um, litter is, is loaded with the N, P, and K, but good source of the micronutrients. Um, we apply two tons to the acre on corn land. If it's new corn land, we'll put four tons to the acre just to boost the fertility. But one of the biggest advantages we're seeing from it is um, feeding the microbes. Not only does the litter introduce new microbes into the soil and the microbes feed on the litter, but the litter is, is we're using it to fertilize the cover crop. And when those cover crops are thriving and, and growing well, they're releasing the exudates in the soil that the microbes feed on. So at the litter, we're getting a, you know, a boost from the fertility, but we're also just boosting the biology in the soil and really getting the organisms in the soil working. And we found you know, good success with that. Okay, we'll take it back to Mike Taylor, and your next one is consider not only the four R's, but the fifth R, right recommendation when soil testing. I've always told my son Michael that probably the most frustrating part of farming for me was not Mother Nature and her weather, labor, mechanical issues, and if you skip over those dying government reports and commodity markets, then it probably would be the mixed fertilizers and the soil test. Maybe there can be consistency within one lab, but if you ever get cued and think, I'm gonna send all four or five samples out of this bucket and see if there's differences, then you'll find that you should do five. That's because you'll need this tiebreaker over here to figure out which one you're going with. Or we decided, no, maybe we'll just add them all together and divide by five and we'll have a good average. An average would be, I've got my head in the oven, my feet in the refrigerator, but on average, 
I have not heard of that one before. <laughs> All right, Mike Whirling, your next tip is apply nutrients at rates needed for optimum returns and avoid environmental concerns. Right. Soil testing is, is number one. We need to know what is in the soil. And I love the research, on-farm research. Infield Advantage is what they call it now. Um, we had it as um, oh, the Infield Advantage, on-farm network. Um, the, the replicated nitrogen trials are really interesting. I, it's in the brochure. There are more detail with it. But I can grow corn with, I can grow 166 bushel of corn on, on the 2014 plot with one-third pound of nitrogen per acre applied to it, or one per bushel, one-third pound per bushel. Um, my optimum rate is about the 125 pound of nitrogen per acre. Um, I can grow well over 200 bushel with the higher rates, but it's not economically feasible. It doesn't return the yields, it doesn't return the money for the extra yields. I think that's the hardest thing for a, uh, a farmer to accept that maybe the most bushels is not the most returns per acre. I live in the, the Lake Erie watershed. My water goes up to Lake Erie, so um, the phosphorus is very important that we keep that on our ground, and new, uh, nitrogen is also being determined that when they have the algal bloom, the more nitrogen in the water, in the solution, the worst the harmful bacteria, the microcystis. All right. Our next one, go back to Jason. Uh, split your nitrogen applications for better crop utilization. What do you do there? Yeah, well, we're getting our nitrogen source um, basically from three different things. Of course, the, the poultry litter, and we figure we're getting about 50 pounds of available nitrogen. Um, the cover crop, none of what the cover crop's recycling and bringing back, but from the legumes. And then we're putting out uh, 20 gallons of 25S at lay-by. And then on irrigated land, we'll put another 20 gallons of 25S through the irrigation system. And all those applications are spaced out about 30 days. Our soils are real low CECs, um, low organic matter, sandy loam soils. So we can't hold on to a lot of nitrogen at one time. So 50 pounds at one time, then another 30 days. We just utilize our nitrogen, space it out, and just always have a source of nitrogen available for the plant. Mike Taylor, your next one is investigate new soil testing labs that have different concepts for fertilizer and soil health recommendations. The way it's been presented to me was that there was a time in farming when a 40-20, and excuse me, I, I bleed green, so a 40-20, a breaking plow and a chisel plow was the gold standard. I'm assuming that not many of us today are trying to really make a living with a 40-20, much less betting the farm on it. I'm also told that our current soil testing system methodology was devised about that time, in the 1960s. So for roughly about 50 years, I'm told, that we have been using the same approach. We've been pulling a sample six inches deep, basically testing for P and K, maybe pH. That result supposedly is only about 20% of the story available to us today. All right, our tip number nine, and we go back to Mike Whirling. Your third one is use high quality low salt fertilizers to allow nutrients to be available for plant uptake. I started uh, in the 80s with the, the system, or refining the system I'm using now. And my fertilizer dealer had started earlier than that, blending his own uh, fertilizers and testing. Um, and I think it's really important to figure out, um, maybe it's not always the least expensive route, 
but the cleanest route and the most uptake for your plant is always the best. Um, just figuring that out. We'll rejoin the panel in a minute, but I wanted to take a moment to again thank Montag Manufacturing, your fertilizing equipment specialist, for sponsoring today's episode. Did you know that many universities have found you can reduce the amount of phosphorus and potassium you apply by up to a third if you ban your fertilizer versus broadcasting it? Recent studies have also shown that banding phosphorus and potassium can increase yield. In fact, University of Illinois plant pathologist Fred Bilo found that banding phosphorus resulted in a corn yield increase of 14 bushels per acre. And banding fertilizer also helps prevent nutrient loss to the environment. To learn how you can start deep banding your fertilizer, visit Montag Manufacturing at www.montagmfg.com or give them a call at 712-852-4572. Now let's return to the panel and hear the final two fertility management tips from all three growers. We'll go back to Jason, and uh, Jason, yours is plant cover crops reduce the amount of applied fertilizer. Yes, yeah, so we started with cover crops five years ago, and uh, what we found is not only do the covers recycle a lot of those nutrients that would have normally leached away in our low sandy soils, but the legumes, the nitrogen we're producing, um, low carbon to nitrogen ratio on clover and, and vetch, it breaks down pretty fast in our warm climate. So when we do our burn down and plant two weeks after, that nitrogen is available. So we're seeing about 50 pounds available. So we've quit with any starter fertilizer. We're getting all the nitrogen we need from our legumes now. And uh, it's something that's worked out. We've been doing it for the past three years and had good success with it. All right, tip number 11 uh, from Mike Taylor. Be prepared to feed today's new genetics, varieties, and plant populations to meet today's economics. Remember, we're just farmers. We're not scientists or researchers. But we're looking at, with today's new focus on soil health and new technology, maybe there's a bigger picture developing, especially with the new genetics and the price of seed. There are new labs, we're told, with greatly enhanced analytical capabilities. They can analyze soil chemistry. That means elements that are not only available or not available, but are active or not active, and soil biology. What is active? Microlife, species of microlife. And they can help select a best blend of cover crop and grazing mixes. We go to tip number 12. Mike Whirling, you've got take a never-till approach to increase your organic matter levels. Um, I'm sorry that we're kind of redundant, but the 15 tips are pretty much all the same thing between them. My organic matter has increased 2.3% um, since 1990s. Um, we started out in woodland soil uh, that was a 1.7, 1.6% soils was my typical ones, uh, what, what my grandfather started, my great-grandfather started out with. So. It, we can increase organic matter. That's probably the most exciting thing about this whole business. Tip number 13, back to Jason. Keep learning by experimenting with different fertilizer rates. Yeah, we, we've learned more about our soils and our fertility of what we can apply or what we need to cut back on from putting in test plots over the past five years. And what we found is we've just been over applying nutrients. And so we've been cutting back and doing test plots every year. Um, 
we found out two years ago after cutting back on our litter that we were applying on our full season soybeans, we just didn't need any fertility on our soybeans. We just had enough that was built up over the years, maybe what some that was what was mineralizing in the soil and becoming available. So that was a huge savings right there. So um, doing test plots, and now we're experimenting mainly with that 20 gallons of 25S at lay-by, different rates from zero to 40 gallons, and find out what can we cut back there. That is our goal as our organic matter increases to eventually eliminate that 20 gallons of 25S. But until you do the test plots on your farm, how do you know? You can't go by what you read in the magazines, can't go by what your neighbors do. You got to do it on your farm and you got to do it year after year. You can't do it one year because that result might be completely different next year. But I think you get a good idea on the third year of what's going, but try to do it for five years and you have a real good idea of what you can do. Okay, we'll take it back to Mike Taylor. Consider planter in-furrow, two-by-two, and knifed-in side applications with earth-friendly fertilizers to feed the roots of the crops. To wade through some of the confusion, we decided to kind of delve into the soil test recommendations. So I'll read online or in a magazine a rather bold generic statement, but it was actually uh, supposedly done by the International Plant Nutrition Institute. 75 to 95% of applied phosphorus can be fixed and unavailable for plant use in the initial year of application. That may be dependent upon soil types, other variables, pH, but there's still a concern. Another statement, potassium chloride, MOP, muriate of potash, catch the word chloride. At a rate of 100 pounds per acre is the equivalent of 100 gallons of Clorox, 8% chlorine applied per acre. Well, that's a concern. The Clorox is what we just used to kill all the algae or microlife in the water tank. Another statement, the plant roots only contact a very few percent of the soil profile. So our approach has been to increase the availability and the safety factor, avoid any injury. We mostly concentrate on a planter applied fertilizer and micronutrients. We don't just look at that as a so-called pop-up or starter, though they may be in for a tube or two, we're looking at those really as a source of fer fertilizer, and especially those fertilizers that are safe enough to also be used as foliar. All right, then our last one here from Mike Whirling. Use cover crops to improve soil health and produce and hold nutrients for the next crops. I know you guys say we're doing the same things, but you got some, I'm sure, specific things that are a little different, so share well, those. I put on a multi-species, a 14-way mix this year or in 2016 on after my wheat and oats ground for crop. So that's really exciting that we have all these available now. Um, I'm going to take a different track and say one of the best compliments I ever received was from a soil scientist who's here, Scott Haley from the NRCS. He was at an agronomy day uh, on my farm with for just the staff people, the NRCS and the state of IN, the state of Indiana and the SWCDs and so forth. And he was in a soil pit that I put on a clay knob, a eroded clay knob, which they normally don't like me to, to do that because it doesn't show the best uh, soil, the best health. You know, they like to have a show off. Well, th that's where the compliment comes in. As he looked at it, it was, it was classified as a blonde uh, soil, a yellow clay soil. It had to be yellow. He said that if he, if he reclassified it that day, or classified it, it'd have to be reclassified because I have a, a dark tint the top 12, 14 inches of that soil. So the soil type has actually changed due to the no-till and the cover crops. We're going to return to the panel to answer some questions from the audience. 
But before we do, I wanted to let you know that we're accepting nominations for the 10th annual class of Responsible Nutrient Management Practitioners. The class will be honored at the 26th annual National No-Tillage Conference, which will be held next year on January 9th through the 12th in Louisville, Kentucky. If you know a no-tiller who has an environmentally, economically, and practically responsible approach to fertility, visit rnmf.org to submit an application. Self-nominations are accepted. Now let's hear the panel answer some questions from the audience. Do you uh, do tissue testing and stock testing? Do you find a direct correlation between the tissue tests and your soil tests, or do they sometimes differ? In other words, um, is it what you put out for the cow to eat, or is it what the cow actually eats? What was the last part of the question? Well, you can put feed out for a cow, but that's not necessarily what she eats. She may root through. So is this what you're finding with your tissue tests and your soil tests? We have not found consistency in soil test and, I'm sorry, in tissue test analysis or in the response to it. While we may automatically apply it based upon other observations, we may automatically apply, if we were to apply a fungicide or some other application, we may piggyback, in particular an ACL, SureK application, especially on soybeans. But we do not find, even with the different labs, a, uh, a consistency or satisfaction in the tissue test analysis. Uh, for Mike Whirling, uh, you said you dribble your, all your nitrogen and some P and K also behind the planter on a zero by two application. For years, we've always heard P and K are immobile. Uh, Wherever you put them, that's where they stay. Yeah, so what's going on with my planter? I have the two systems on there. Um, the, the, my center tank will go on through the Keaton seed firmer on the seed. And uh, that's normally a 320.15 right now that I'm putting on. That's been my favorite the last few years. Side, uh, side Beside the row, two inches over, um, I'm using a uh, Martin fertilizer unit that's about the same level as the seed but two to the side. I'm putting on, and I'm going to read this because then I get it right, 28% for corn, uh, 925.4 and 00.25.17 through the fertilizer units, then following it up with side dressing for the corn again with, uh, with what I need to finish it. So it's, it's a little more complicated to set up, but it works really good. Uh, I have really good luck with it. Jason, how much uh, do you sample your litter for your nitrogen? And uh, we've used litter, quite honestly, longer than you're old. And I agree, it's a complete package. It's a full of micronutrient feeders. Uh, the last few years, the variability of the nitrogen has changed because I think the uh, variability of the feed they're feeding the birds has changed. What kind of credit do you give of nitrogen per ton of litter that you put on? You know, that's what I mean. We put two tons, but we, we credit that I'm only going to get half. So we, we get that 50 ton, uh, um, 50 pounds of nitrogen out of two tons. So uh, we're, we're crediting half of what the analysis would say. That's the problem. It's some is going to be available right away, but most of it's got to break down and release. 
It's going to depend on the microbes to break it down, and plus the um, rainfall. If it's just sitting there and it's not going in the soil, then you're not going to get much advantage. So we just figure 50. It might be a little higher than that sometimes, but that's a good number we've found to work with. Do you have any uh, residential neighbors that really appreciate that? Oh, they love it. Down? I mean, I, I warn them ahead of time, and it, any, any houses that I have to uh, spread close to, I uh, try to do it um, during the week if they're at work. And, um, and I do have some farms near school or subdivisions that I, I can't put any litter on, but uh, yeah, I hear about it every year. Thank you to Jason Carter, Mike Taylor, and Mike Whirling for sharing their tips and techniques for developing effective nutrient management programs that are environmentally friendly. If you'd like to learn more about their operations and fertility programs, go to notillfarmer.com and click on podcasts under the resources tab. There you'll find a link to this episode where a PDF with more information about all three growers is available for download. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor Montag Manufacturing for helping make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our no-till insider and dryland no-tiller e-newsletters. And be sure to follow us on our no-till farmer Facebook page and on Twitter at no-till farmer with farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R. For the responsible nutrient management practitioners, Montag Manufacturing, and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Laura Barrera. Thanks for listening.